Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of September 29th, 2020, and this is officially episode number 452, and this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and yes, we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And yes, September 29th, this is it. This is the last show for September the calendar is going to flip to October in a couple of days, which means, yes, Halloween is around the corner. That's our big holiday here in the paranormal. That's our Christmas, New Year's, July 4th, Memorial Day, uh, Easter, all wrapped up in, into one nice orange and black bow. Granted, it doesn't really feel the same this year. Obviously, nothing has really felt the same with COVID-19, but... Rest assured, there's going to be pumpkin-spiced-flavored everything. And uh, the cooler weather, I think, is on its way. It's here in Northeast Ohio. It's been pretty cold. Ah, cold, I say cold, and it's like 62 today. But overnight, it's been down in the 40s. So it's uh, it's on its way. And pretty soon, we'll utter the S-word of snow, and th that's it. It's going to take off. But... Uh, kind of excited to get Halloween coming. I think that's going to help a lot of people get back in the spirit of things when we get these bigger holidays toward the uh, the fall and the winter coming up. But uh, lots of stuff going on today. Obviously, here in the United States, we have the baseball playoffs starting today. It was You guys had to peel me away from the TV watching my Cleveland Indians get beat up by the Yankees and hoping for a, a midge swarm later on in the game, but uh, there's also these political debate things going on. So if you're not enthralled in one of those two things right now, I appreciate your attention. And we've got a lot of good news to talk about tonight in the paranormal, some interesting stuff all over the world. And we've got uh, one of our favorite guys, the Loch Ness Monster. I don't, we talk about him quite a bit, I don't, or maybe her, I don't know. Um, lots of misplaced animals. We're going to talk about the Yowie. We haven't talked about the Yowie in a while. And uh, we'll go to uh, Japan as well. And we'll wrap it up talking about the paranormal as a cult. That's an interesting story. And first, I want to mention, uh, I didn't find out about it in time for last week's show. I, I guess I just didn't pay attention but apparently, well, it's not apparent. Uh, yeah, it's in the chat room there. Uh, big announcement. Uh, I realized last week, and I forgot that I put in for this. Uh, I actually applied to get into this. Uh, the Paranormal News Insider is now available on the latest platform to listen to podcasts, and that is Amazon Music. So I'm excited to uh, have an Amazon Music web page. It's pretty cool. Um, kind of forgot about it, to be honest, uh, put in for it. I don't forget when, when they announced it, that they were going to do podcasts and nobody really said anything about it. And then next thing I know, it's all over the news and I go, Hey, wait a minute. I think I'm on there. Sure enough. 
Uh, there it is. So there in the chat room is a link to the Amazon uh, podcast link, and it's pretty cool. I mean, they they got to get with the times. I mean, they got a lot of cool stuff with Kindle and uh, Amazon Prime and, and the Amazon uh, movies and, and TV shows and all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, the music is music. I don't know how many people are really you know, buying music. I don't know how music works anymore. I'm lost with that whole thing. I grew up with CDs and, well, actually cassette tapes. I grew up with cassettes and right toward the end of the record era. So I don't know how it is nowadays. I haven't bought a CD in like 15 years, it seems like. So I don't know. Music is just really, really different. But they had to get their stuff together and start getting podcasts. So the Paranormal News Insider, proud to be a part of Amazon Music. And one other announcement. I talked about this uh, last week. In October 12th. Was that two weeks away already? Boy, I better get started. Uh, Westerville Public Library. Normally, I'm live at the Westerville Public Library just northeast of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but this year, I will be here behind the mic. Well, behind the camera, I guess, at home. It's going to be a virtual meeting uh, like we've not had enough of those over the last seven months. Um, but it's going to be fun. Be a lot of uh, a lot of things I can do here that I can't do. Really, I can't bring all my tools and technology down there to the library. I guess I could, but I might get arrested. Uh, and this will actually be my 12th consecutive year appearing for the library. I can't say at the library anymore because I won't be there uh, suppose I could just drive down there and sit outside the building, maybe. I, that'd be kind of weird. Uh, but this year, I'm going to present Cases and Places Behind the Veil of Ghost Investigation. And uh, I've done cryptozoology, and I think I did UFO one. I don't know if I did UFO. Yeah, I did a, a separate UFO. I didn't do one for Halloween. I did one at a different time of the year for UFOs. But I've done cryptozoology a lot down there, so... Uh, they've they've kind of asked if I, I was willing to talk about ghosts. So sure enough, I'm going to be digging into some old files. I have a pile of files next to me on the floor here that I've been going through the last few days, trying to pull out some cases that I really haven't thought about in a long time to talk about stuff that uh, I don't normally talk about. So it'll be really interesting. I'm trying to find some of the scariest stuff or most hair-raising cases, as I put it. And I'll take you on a journey with those hair-raising cases and personal experiences at a variety of haunted locations around the United States. Um, and I'll talk about technology and methodology behind the investigation process as well, which is uh, it's kind of different on who you ask. And, and we'll talk about some of the issues with ghost investigation at the end of the show as we talk about the cult-like Phenomena that's been going on for quite a while, actually. I'm excited about this uh, virtual thing. It's, it's pretty cool. I do a lot of that at work. So, yep. But uh, you didn't come here for that. You didn't come here to talk, hear me talk about going to uh, a virtual library appearance. No, you came here because the show is called The Paranormal News Insider. And we should be talking about the news. So we're going to jump into the news as we should. I got to get back to the baseball game pretty quick here. So got to get you guys out. Uh, cryptid news. Well, 
it's back, Nessie. And uh, when I first read this story, I thought something was a little weird about it. It sounded very, very familiar. It's because it is familiar. Uh, it's kind of almost like a repeat. But uh, the, the headline I read, hilarious, hilarious. Uh, the Inverness Courier has a headline that says, Nessie Skeptic saw something fishy during Loch Ness Walk. That's hilarious. Okay, so it's not hilarious. Uh, it's just kind of fishy. I wonder how long they've been saving that line and what made them decide to finally use it for this particular story. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll probably never know. Probably a bigger mystery than Bigfoot right there. And yes, we've heard a similar story a few weeks ago about a Nessie skeptic being convinced now that uh, he thinks it's real now after his personal sighting. And well, this week we have another i got to work a laugh track into this somehow. It might help things a little bit. Uh, over the weekend, last weekend, Corey and Lauren Sturrock were walking along the lock at around 3.40 p.m. when they saw a giant creature rise out of the water. Uh, Mr. Sturrock stated, quote, I have been camping and walking on Loch Ness my whole life, and I've never believed in the Loch Ness monster. But what my wife and I saw was something quite extraordinary. And I would like to know if other people have seen the same. It was what looked to me and Lauren like a massive eel. It was the size of a bus. It was massive. We saw water rippling as if something was swelling. And that is what grabbed our attention. We then saw this thing that looked like a massive eel rise from the water and then go back under again. There was a large swell. Other people walking on the same path saw it as well. Unquote. Well, wow, this is certainly incredible, right? Giant eel. We finally have verification of what the Loch Ness Monster is. Uh, multiple people seeing the same giant creature rising out of the water. Uh, this, this is great news. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, wow. Uh... Well, kind of. Uh, it would be. I mean, if the, the icing on the cake with this whole thing. So we, we have a, a very detailed description with multiple people. All we need is a photograph, right? Wait, there's no photograph? How does this happen again? It seems like 2020 and the paranormal has been all this flashy news with no pictures. Normally we get at least blurry pictures of stuff. Uh, this year, it seems like nobody's taking pictures. So what does he have to say about that? Well, Mr. Sturrock continued. He said, quote, I reached for my phone, but it was all over in a matter of about 10 or 20 seconds. And it only showed itself for a few seconds. By the time I got my phone out, it had gone underneath again. I didn't. It didn't look like all the Nessie drawings with the humps. It was just a large or very large eel uh, after never believing there was anything in the lock and no basis for belief in the Loch Ness monster I would say that perhaps there are large eels in the water and when they emerge they may look like a monster whatever it was it was some size unquote so uh, now Nessie is a giant eel 
Well, that's interesting. Uh, in my book, I'm sure you've read it. I'm sure you haven't read it. Uh, Handbook for the Amateur UFO Investigator. I talked about a concept called cultural tracking. Now, cultural tracking, this is where we describe things we see based on the current culture and technology. Uh, and a good kind of uh, description of that would be obviously UFOs, where I put it in the book. So in the 1940s and 50s, UFOs were saucer-shaped or hubcap-shaped. Uh, they later changed to other shapes, including triangles in the 1980s and 90s, fueled by some shows like The X-Files, which featured that shape. And of course, we had uh, the Phoenix Lights. that was also described as triangular. Uh, now we're seeing small pill-shaped objects like drones. It seems that the Loch Ness Monster has also changed over the years from a dinosaur in the 1930s that was sometimes seen on land to a humpback creature. Uh, to uh, pretty much uh, now an eel. Well, why an eel? I mean, that's just kind of weird. Uh, well, Professor Neil Gemmel conducted a DNA survey back in 2018 of the lock and found there was no DNA that could explain a large animal, such as a shark or whales. So there, there are no whales in, in Loch Ness. Uh, to answer, long-winded way to answer a question in chat. Um but eels seemingly were the dominant creatures in the lock. And these eels are actually born in the Caribbean, if you're a pirate, a uh, Caribbean, I guess if you're on vacation there. I don't know what the difference is. Somebody needs to figure that out. Caribbean and Caribbean, I'm not sure. But anyway, these eels come from that region all the way to Loch Ness. Uh, and they get through there through a small, it's not really a small channel, but the, uh, the uh, we talked about it last week on the show, didn't we? The, the little, the river that goes through Inverness, um, the Ness, River Ness is what it's called. And it goes into, uh, so from the ocean into this kind of a bay into the river, uh, into the lock, which is a lake. Uh, but there are no large creatures that, that really go in, in there. Um, obviously, a lot more water streaming out. And, you know, fresh water is pretty much a turnoff for uh, whales. But occasionally, seals are known to have gotten in the in the lock. Uh, but I don't think uh, Neil Gemmel had anything with seal DNA in the lock. So, not sure about that. Uh, but it's weird how now, all of a sudden, here we are. Two years removed from this DNA survey about eels and giant headlines about eels possibly explaining the Loch Ness Monster. Now, a sighting, and somebody describes it as a giant eel. Well, they don't get that big. They don't get the size of a bus. Uh, but it's interesting. I wonder just what this person saw. And, you know, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes or say, well, that's... That sounds made up. I mean, how can somebody not be able to pull their phone out? But I'll tell you, uh, I'm more of a believer when somebody says that they just couldn't get to their phone or they didn't have time uh, or they couldn't react versus somebody who takes a sketchy looking photograph or a video uh, because I've seen things. You know, I've seen I've had rabbits run out in front of me. I've, I've had um Weird birds just fly and land in front of me or a 
had a turkey run out in front of me once. Uh, a lot of these things just happen quickly. I, I've seen a, a piebald deer walk out, and I was in Pennsylvania, and this almost almost albino-looking deer walk out in front of me, stood there for 10 seconds, looked at me, looked back, and just walked away. I could have gotten my phone out and taken a picture, but there's just something about observing something and watching it uh, that is just sometimes strange things like that just captivate you enough that you don't really think about it. You don't have time to take a picture. But uh, him saying that, you know, 20 seconds is an awful long time, you know, in, in my opinion. It, people generally are nowadays, especially 2020, you're, you're not more than two seconds away from your phone. It's in your back pocket, it's in your front pocket, it's in your hand, or it's glued to your nose. I mean, that's really the only few places that people keep a phone nowadays. So I'm just amazed that we're not getting these photographs. We talked about this last week too. There was a, a few stories. Uh, the woman saw the, uh, she described as a, as a tiger walking around and she didn't have her phone with her at all, which a lot of people find amazing in this day and age. But uh, yeah, no picture of this giant eel. And hopefully uh, I have not heard anyone else talk about this, but hopefully we have some other witnesses that do step forward and maybe other people saw this and we don't know how far away he was. Uh, there's a lot of information we don't have other than just the basic sighting here. Oh, it's frustrating sometimes when you talk about these stories, but, you know, giant eels, it's possible. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about multiple reports of what was described uh, as a crocodile um, or alligators. You know, I guess last week, the last few weeks, last few months, actually the last two years, we're talking about alligator sightings in the Northeast. I've kind of become obsessed with them a little bit. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, last week, there were some reports of a crocodile in the Clinton River in Harrison Township which is actually just north of Detroit. So, I mean, Detroit is known as Detroit Rock City. So is it Detroit Croc City now? Well, it, got, it was pretty quiet there. I just came up with that now. Uh, should have been my headline. I think I'm going to change that. Uh, Macomb County Animal Control responded and were out looking last Monday and Tuesday, but apparently came up empty-handed. I've not heard any kind of developments, not seen anything on social media about any findings of a crocodile or alligator. So despite uh, a number of sightings, no one has come forward. Again, no photographs, no evidence. Uh, for sure, this creature would be seen sunning itself on the banks. Uh, it's not going to let you get too close to it, though, before it jumps in the water. But even then. They jump in the water. They'll stick their head out to see, to assess what's looking at them. It's pretty normal. I've seen that before. Seeing alligators in multiple states. Uh, I've seen them in Georgia. I've seen them in Alabama. I've seen them in Florida. I've seen them in Texas. That's their MO. They jump in uh, off the, the side. And they kind of get in the water, and then they kind of look around. So you should be able to get a picture of one. It's not too hard. Uh, you should be able to at least observe it and describe it. Uh, but no one's been able to do this so far. Um, so it would be up on the banks. It is getting a little chilly in that neck of the woods. Uh, so I'm sure the water isn't too far behind. And if that's the case, it's not going to be really in the water too much. It's going to need to be out in the sun 
to try to warm itself up. And, you know, I hate to say this, but it's possible there was an alligator or crocodile in the area, but uh, it may not have been able to survive, may have passed away already. Uh, or possibly, you know, maybe somebody saw something that wasn't a crocodile. But once you put something on social media, well, uh, imaginations take flight and suddenly everybody's seeing a crocodile. And what else do we have missing out there? Well, Tennessee. So we're not going to, you know, hurt uh, Michigan too much more. Well, let's jump to Tennessee. They they need it. Uh, we haven't talked about them in a while, right? Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, the TWRA, is investigating the grisly discovery of a decomposed alligator discovered in central Tennessee. The alligator is thought to have belonged to a woman who owns several exotic animals, including white foxes, bobcats, porcupines, and raccoons. Well, and apparently at least one alligator. Uh, owning an alligator is illegal in Tennessee, but apparently it was uh, having a nice time living in her bathtub. And the woman sadly passed away earlier this year. And reading the story, and nobody really explained it. I read several different versions of this story. No explanation for this. But the strangest thing I think of with this story is there would have had to have been evidence of this alligator living on her property when they discovered these other animals, when she passed away. So do they look for this alligator? Do they just assume that it just, you know, packed its bags and, and took a bus to Florida? I, I mean, I, I don't get it. It's kind of perplexing, but uh, had a lot of people on edge. People were kind of scared about this. And I'm not sure, but I think the alligator was found several miles away from where this uh woman had had this alligator so uh, no no idea how long the alligator lived in the wild for but it uh it, even that how big it was nobody really described it either so um kind of a weird story but what what is weirder is you know we talk about strange these alligator settings happening in the northeastern states where alligators are not found but actually in western tennessee there are actually wild alligators uh, they've come up from southern states, and they're slowly making their way into the state. And this was discovered um, uh, a couple of years ago. It was kind of big news, and we did talk about it here on the show, that uh, they're making their way north on their own, let alone being let loose in every lake and uh, river between here and the state of, uh, I think, New Hampshire is as far. Well, we had one in Maine last year, I think, as well, so... Oh, plus, we had Wessie the Snake a couple of years ago, too. It was the number one story of the year in the paranormal. So you never know what's creeping around. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big kayaker. I love going kayaking. And I've heard several stories. I've asked people of the last few years if they've ever heard of or seen an alligator in some of these. Uh, I go into basically reservoirs. So sometimes these, these reservoirs have lakes or, or I should say, uh, rivers or streams that empty into them and I've heard more than a few stories of people seeing either live or dead alligators uh, in lock, in lakes and rivers here in Ohio, which is kind of scary when you think about it. You don't want to be swimming in the water and you look up and there's a uh, even a baby alligator. So you might have a little bit of advantage if you're in the water with it. Um, two, three footer. 
but it's not going to kill you on land. Well, alligators, if they're not hanging out in your local woods or water isn't disturbing or stumbling upon a carcass of one in your backyard, it's not disturbing enough. Well, what about walking into a wallaby? Yeah, a wallaby, like a kangaroo. Uh, yes, another escaped exotic pet from Tennessee. And this one was a couple of weeks ago. Ended with a good a good uh, ending, though. So no worries here. No decomposing wally or wallaby. And, of course, yes, they named it Wally. I think every wallaby story I've ever done, uh, there is, except for the one earlier this year in, uh, was it Scotland? They've got actually wild wallabies up there. Um, they're all named Wally for some reason. Wally the Wallaby. And Wally the Wallaby was wandering around. Uh, he got loose somehow. And uh, a wallaby is, again, like a kangaroo. It's a marsupial. It's a little smaller than a kangaroo. Its face is a little bit more smooshed together. Um, not as tall. I think they're a little darker. And they're uh, not necessarily dangerous. But uh, then again, they could get out into traffic. Um, and since they don't carry smartphones, they, they can't get, um, you know, they can't hitch a ride with anybody. So, um, you know, and I wonder too, kangaroos, they're known to be pretty good boxers. So I wonder if wallabies are into like mixed martial arts or something. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, good news for Wally. He was found and he was found alive uh, the following day. So he's only out on the road one day. And he returned to the yard of his home. They think that uh, he needed water. So he just came home to, to get a quick drink and then head back out on the road. Uh, the disturbing thing about this story, if there is one, uh, there is no permit required to own a wallaby in the state of Tennessee. It's illegal to own an alligator. Illegal to own an alligator, but you could just go down to the pet store and pick up a wallaby, apparently, or import a, a wallaby. I don't know how you get one. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe not disturbing, but it's kind of odd. I mean, think about it. You have to have a license to own a dog. But not a cat. I don't get that. Perplexing things that we uh, raise here on the Paranormal News Insider. And, well, the biggest story of the week, I think, at least in the cryptid field, uh, might be the entire paranormal news period. Well, you might disagree when you hear the, the UFO story, but uh, I think this is the, uh, the biggest story. I'm really excited about this. This story really captured my attention earlier today. But it's not, it's not Bigfoot. It's not an alligator. And it's not the Loch Ness Monster. Well... Not exactly Bigfoot, but it's actually his cousin. And his cousin left us a bit of a surprise. So a member of the Tablelands Yowie Sightings Facebook group has posted some surprising evidence of what could be signs of a Yowie. So if you don't know what a Yowie is, it's uh, more than a candy bar. Uh, it's the Australian version of Bigfoot. It has a large following, just like his North American cousin. Uh, these large, hairy hominids have been reported on every continent, with the exception of Antarctica. Well, so far. I don't think we've explored it uh, 
so far enough. So bipedal potential hominid, I guess I should have said. Um, yeah, they're everywhere. And uh, Yowie is, is the moppy-haired, long-haired cousin. And about the same height, I guess. So they probably look pretty similar. And a lineup picture, uh, if we could get a picture of one, of course. Uh, but these pictures, I think it was uh, six images in all were taken in uh, North Queensland, Australia. Uh, shows a large termite mound, which was broken open. But that's not the big focus here. No, the big focus is what was left on top of the termite mound. And you might you might kind of get my drift here, uh, what I'm talking about when something was left as a surprise on top of a termite mound. And I'm going to throw a picture of this in the chat room of the termite mound being broken apart. And you'll see the pleasant surprise left on top. And if you want a bigger view of that, just click on the picture in chat to see that gift that was left. Yes, it's a large pile of poo, also known as dung or feces. Now, the technical terms there are scat, I guess, or whatever else you wish to call it. There's several other names that I can't really say on a family-friendly radio show. Uh, it was photographed atop the termite mound. Now, uh, the person who took the photograph also stated that the scat was fresh. I don't know uh, how he determined that. Uh, not going to ask too many questions, but... Uh, he also stated that he felt as if something was watching him. Something was watching him. Then he spotted a railway sleeper that was stuck in the tree. And you may say, whoa, a railway sleeper stuck in a tree. That sounds ginormous. Well, it's not exact. It's not like a, a railway, like a car stuck in a tree. It's, it's actually the... Uh, it's kind of a, what do they say, like British-English way of saying railway tie. So the, you know, the wooden piece, um, but, you know, the, it supports the railroad track. So the metal pieces, it's the piece of wood that goes underneath. Those are pretty heavy. Uh, I've moved a few of those in my lifetime, and I'll tell you, yeah, they are pretty heavy even when dried out. Uh, but looking at the picture... I, you know, at first I thought it was stuck actually into the tree, like the tree grew around it, but it is stuck, like it looks like it's in the crook of the tree there. Uh, but you have no way of knowing how long it's been there. The tree could have grown with this, could have been on the ground and the tree could have grown to lift it up or somebody could have placed it there earlier. I uh, don't know if there was uh, old railway going through that area or what, how it could have gone uh, to there. A lot of unanswered questions with this story, and um, I'm not sure exactly the area. If they could have done some research to find if there was a a, a railway track that went through there to to have a, a railway tie. Just uh, sometimes they do go through and they replace them. I know here I've seen quite a bit in the United States where they repair, and sometimes they just toss the old ones to the side. Uh, so that does happen sometimes, uh, or uh, you know a piece of track that's destroyed. Sometimes these can end up all over the place, even though they are heavy. Uh, they can tumble down a uh, hillside and 
maybe end up into a tree, but we, again, we don't know. We don't have details of this. Um, don't know how long it's been in that tree, but railway uh, tie aside, as far as the poo is concerned, um, so I'll admit, uh, I do have a little unhealthy, maybe, fascination with animal scat. Uh, like to analyze it, look at it, uh, tear it apart if I can. Don't really want to touch it, get too close to it. Uh, but uh, I've identified quite a few. Uh, it's how you learn about animals, really. Uh, scat is a, is a very telling sign about creatures and the environment around it. Uh, so it's, I guess it's not completely unhealthy as long as you're not eating it or doing anything else. But, yeah, you don't want to touch it. Uh, you can get very, very sick from that. Um, yeah, that uh, really got my attention with that piece. And I'll tell you, it's really excited, too. They have even a close-up picture of this. And it's, it's crazy that you would not think that uh, worldwide newsprints would have, like, large pictures of this, this kind of stuff left over uh, from, uh, you know, excrement here. You wouldn't think that a newspaper would want to print that. It's crazy, but it's okay. I guess it was from a Yowie. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm not very familiar with the animal sign of Australian animals, so I couldn't really tell you what left that. Uh, but there's a lot of problem with it, or with what we're seeing here. So one of the biggest problems is there's no scale to tell how big that scat is. Uh, I don't know how big the termite bounds get, and I don't think two termite bounds are gonna be the same exact size. So really no way to tell from the termite mound how big that is. Uh, I mean, throw your hat in there, put your hand in there, your shoe. I mean, anything is better than, than no scale at all. I mean, I would prefer um, at least a, a, you know, an L-shaped you know, ruler for, for scale would be fantastic. I mean, I'm asking for a lot, I know. Uh, even a pen or your phone, put your phone in there. At least it won't fall off. Um, so yeah, I agree, it, it does look fresh uh, as far as the coloration is concerned. There's a little bit of darkness in there a little bit. So you're not sure what that is, if it's part of decomp or if it's, um, berries or fruit or uh, I don't know what's in the landscape around it. Again, I don't really, uh, not too familiar with the, the, the outback of Australia, except they make good food. That's all I know. Uh, but it could be days old as well. So we don't know, uh, depending upon the weather conditions at the time. Uh, so they're in the Southern hemisphere. So it's a completely, we're going into winter. Uh, so they're coming out of winter. So things a little bit different down there. The weather is a lot different. Um, I mean, it was fresh. So was it warm? Did you put your put your cheek to it? You feel the warmth? Uh, I mean, did he break it open to see if it's still moist? Is there anything recognizable, such as hair, berries, maybe even bones? That really helps. Uh, you can identify maybe uh, what the creature left it by what's inside of it. Well, one thing I can say for certain, uh, I don't think it's human. Thank goodness for that. I mean, that would really be an odd story. Somebody trying to hoax the world by doing that. That would be the ultimate hoax. Uh, the ultimate Bigfoot. I, you could call it Bigfoot at that point. Uh, there's been a lot of big Bigfoot hoaxes throughout the years. But this would certainly uh, be the biggest pile of, uh, 
of a hoax if it was human. But I'm pretty sure that's not. Pretty sure it's not. Uh, but again, I don't know why there's no scale. I don't know why uh, a sample wasn't taken. I mean, if you're a researcher, I don't know ex exactly who took this, uh, these series of photographs. But if you're willing to do that, you know, and I, I get, you know, hey, I'm, I'm scared. Uh, people are watching me or somebody's watching me in the woods or whatever. Uh, fine. But, I mean, collect a sample. I mean, it's who knows. Hopefully somebody uh, who's a researcher or a zoologist or, or somebody can identify what this is. Or uh, potentially if the uh, area is uh, discovered where this is, you know, hopefully somebody can go out there and, and, and collect a sample if, if they really think it's a Yowie. But uh, I don't know. I mean, here in the United States, we have animals like coyote that like to leave their um, leave that sign in the middle of a pathway and, and, and large open places to let people know, hey, this is our property. This is our area. Um, most of their animals, they don't really care as long as it's convenient. Um, some animals like uh, canines won't do it where they eat or drink. They're pretty smart that way. Most animals they don't care. They just go where uh, wherever they can. All right, I think enough about wild poo. Um, exciting, though, to be able to talk about that here on a paranormal radio show. But, yeah, you really need to know this kind of stuff. And um, got to get your hands dirty. If you're going to be a researcher, you definitely got to get your hands dirty. Well, maybe not that dirty, uh, but you got to get in there and uh, and do some, do some digging into... Uh, the darkest corners of the animal world. Anyway, that's your cryptid news. We're going to jump into UFO news. Uh, and you might have seen this. It's been a, a pretty big headline, a fairly big headline, not as big as what we've seen with some of the headlines here in the United States over the last few months regarding UFO uh, reports and the government getting involved. Finally, it's almost kind of a, a flip-flop, a reversal of fortune. It seems, you know, all these independent researchers since the 80s and 90s have really demanded proof. We want to know. We want disclosure. What do you guys know? And now it seems like it's the government that's, like, really gathering a lot more information than anyone else out there. And I don't think, uh, from the way they've said it, and I've been saying this for years, I just don't think they really know as much as what we give them credit for. And I think they've got us fooled, or we've got ourselves fooled, or Maybe everyone's a fool. I don't know. Uh, but Japan has officially jumped on the UFO bandwagon here in 2020. So Japan's self-defense forces was handed down instructions on how to handle unidentified flying objects earlier this month. Take pictures. That's what they want. Uh, that's, that's what they're demanding. Take some pictures, gather some evidence, and let us know. Uh, so the military is also looking into sightings occurring from the general public. So are, are they scared? Are they nervous? Was there something going on? Uh, we don't know. But uh, Japan certainly has its stories of UFO sightings, just like the United States. They've got a lot of local folklore, you know, Area 51. They've got a lot of crash sighting things, a, a lot of uh, UFO sightings over the, the last few decades, their own stories course 
Uh, every country has a handful of sightings that uh, are the big stories. While many articles are making this announcement into a defense program about extraterrestrial driven spacecraft, I, I've seen that and, and it kind of kind of irks me a bit. Uh, we're we're kind of moving away. We're trying to sell newspapers. We're trying to sell, well, not really newspapers. Nobody reads newspapers. We're trying to sell advertisement slots, basically, instead of really digging into what's going on here. Um, I mean, again, uh, this reaction to reporting unknown craft is very similar to that up here in the United States. They're basically doing what we've been doing, and there's a reason for that. Uh, again, it's not so much aliens that they're worried about. Just like here, you know, we've talked about this, uh, rather than countries with advanced drones or other aircraft invading their airspace. And this happens quite a bit. Uh, we've seen a lot of that here in the United States about um, other countries with technology. And I think that's what some of these videos are. Uh, I doubt it's the three videos that were released. I don't think that they would actually show us the technology that they've seen the videos that they have, but some of the descriptions of other craft. I'm sure it could be advanced aircraft from, uh, I don't want to say our enemies, but uh, countries that are kind of curious about what we're doing or what we're up to, or they're testing things to see how we can react to that or how, can we take it out. Um, and let's not forget, again, the United States is an ally of Japan with this kind of stuff. So there's certainly going to be an exchange of information especially behind closed doors about settings, which could help to uncover the technology and who's behind it if there's something unknown in the skies above Earth. Granted, yes, all this could be about alien aircraft zipping over our skies for all we know. We don't know. But it's interesting that Japan is taking an interest and they're asking that their military... Uh, now take this a uh, little more seriously than they have as well. Japan, very similar in their background, uh, just kind of being very dismissive about this stuff. Uh, Low-key, hush-hush. Um, I think off and on they've been a little bit more open about it than the United States, but uh, they're taking a very similar approach right now with documentation and kind of uh, spoon-feeding the public a little bit more than what they have in the past. So... Uh, maybe this story of the United States and uh, these videos and uh, these strange sightings over uh, military bases and, and all these things coming being public and people talking about it, not really talking about the world coming to an end. Uh, I think we can handle this kind of stuff. I mean, we're kind of uh, dulled down to a point of, of all these alien invasion movies we see on on TV and at the movie theaters. Um, people go see movies anymore? I don't think so. But uh, I, I think we're numb to that now. So I think if, if it really happened, I don't think people are going to um, act like what the government thinks that we're going to act. We're all just going to burn down the churches and um, just pillage every city and everything. But... Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a little writing. There's going to be a, a lot of confusion. Uh, I mean, yeah, you see how we react to uh, certain things that happen here in the United States, and it, it kind of makes you wonder, well, maybe we will. Uh, but I think there's going to be a little bit of people saying, finally, 
or this is what I thought. Uh, I think there will be a little bit of an acceptance of this. But again, I don't think we're going to have advanced aliens uh, technology discovered. I think it's more or less our, uh, again, I don't want to say enemies, but uh, other countries, other nations that are testing out technology and seeing what they can get away with. And it just uh, blows our out of, blows our stuff out of the water. So uh, we're a little nervous about that because we're used to being the top dog of technology, and all of a sudden now we're we're seeing things that can can move differently than what we can make our stuff move. So we'll keep an an eye on that. We'll see if other countries come out and jump on this UFO bandwagon about reporting to the general public. Also, we'll see how serious Japan really is about this, and uh, if they release any information that's what i'm curious about yeah you're going to be doing this but are you really going to release stuff so what are we going to be reading about in the next couple of months uh for uh ufos and now we'll move into ghost news and i kind of tipped it off at the beginning of the show talking about the paranormal being like a cult um, but first, we have a question in chat. Any mountain lion update? Uh, no, I don't have a mountain lion update. I don't have any new stories, new sightings. Uh, I've checked on a couple of sightings uh, that were happening in the Northeast. No new news on the mountain lion front. Sadly, I was kind of hoping that something would come up where we could have an actual verified sighting here in the Northeast of the United States of a mountain lion, which are, they're not supposed to be here. They're not supposed to exist uh, east of the Mississippi River, with the exception of South Florida, where the Florida Panthers live. Not the the uh, Florida Panthers. Is it the hockey team? Yeah, Carolina Carolina Hurricanes, Florida Panthers. Yeah, okay, the hockey team. Yeah, not just the hockey team, but the the actual animals, which uh, is very sad down there. They're inbreeding. They're not doing so well down there, but uh, so they may be extinct, or I guess I should say extirpated in the next uh, few years. Maybe. I, I kind of really hope not, but keep building down there. They keep building down there. But the Black Hills of South Dakota is the closest breeding ground to the east. And, uh, you know, I've talked about it in, in last shows. I talked about it when this happened way back in uh, 2008, where a mountain lion was actually discovered hit by a car in Connecticut just uh, about an hour away from New York City. And that mountain lion was initially thought to be a wandering male, but turned out to be a wild mountain lion from the Black Hills of South Dakota. And we keep hoping, I keep hoping, uh, back in 2008, there was a, a bunch of sightings here in, in Ohio as well. We had uh, a number of sightings pretty close to where I'm actually sitting right now as well. I did talk to a few people uh, via email about those. Uh, wasn't really welcomed to the area because there was a lot of other people trespassing and, and going out there. So probably wouldn't have been very smart for me to do that anyway, but... Uh, I've heard a lot of reports about lions all throughout Ohio, and every time I go to Pennsylvania, of course, everyone's got a mountain lion sighting or a black panther sighting for that matter. But um, keep hoping that we'll get more 
especially with COVID-19 possibly keeping uh, people from keeping those numbers down. But we'll keep an eye out moving forward. So back to ghost news. So one of the questions I've been asking off and on this year, are there experts in the paranormal? And everyone has an opinion about that. Uh, some people say yes. A lot of people say no. Uh, another thing that has annoyed me uh, for years, a lot of things have annoyed me in the in the paranormal, in the ghost field for years, uh, but many people and groups that get their training in the ghost field from TV. I mean, it, I mean, everybody learns things from other people. Some people learn stuff from books, but there's groups out there that are literally built on television shows. Uh, you know, they're fans of TV, so they just start doing this. It's disturbing because there's more to it than what you see on TV. Uh, Tim Weisberg covered these topics in reaction to a recent show that he had of his podcast and a guest that he had on his show, uh, wondering if the paranormal has become a cult. Midnight Society is the podcast, and the topic was centered on Cult Week, which I guess was the theme. Uh, they had Rick Allen Ross, who is one of the leading experts on cults, who uh, made Tim connect the dots the following day that the ghost field might just be a giant cult. Um I guess with orange-flavored Kool-Aid, suppose. Uh, he basically states that the like-minded thinking is a must and that thinking out the, outside the box is frowned upon. Uh, he relates this to the gear that ghost investigators have in their toolbox, which is something I agree with. Uh, as fads change, so do the gadgets that everyone swears by. And sometimes a, a new gadget will be talked about and people don't want anything to do with it. But if it's on TV... All of a sudden, everyone's using it. And it seems like everyone's using the same tools all the time. Well, granted, it's uh, the toolbox has grown over the years since these uh, these guys are sent this stuff by some of these manufacturers. They featured on the show, and all of a sudden, everyone else is out there buying it. Of course, after they mark it up a 1,000%. Uh, Tim mentions how he was referred to as a paranormal expert on the Travel Channel show Hotel Paranormal, uh, he didn't tell them that, but that's what the producers did, and that's what they do. They make their own stuff up. Uh, and this is this has also happened to me when uh, I'm introduced at library presentations and other uh, events not paranormal-related, so not at a, a ghost convention or anything like that. I want to do uh, the, uh, like, libraries and and different groups and organizations, sometimes they'll refer to me as a paranormal expert. And I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to get too far into it. I do make comments about it later on during the program if I'm talking about um, that topic or uh, how we don't know as much as what we think we do when we're talking about the paranormal. Everyone seems like they think they know everything. Uh, many people in the ghost field will quickly point out that you can't be an expert in the paranormal. That's that's the common thought. That's a common phrase. Uh, people will say, you cannot be an expert in the unknown. I've heard that a million times. Uh, there are no answers to what we do. There's only interpretations. That's all I've heard uh, for 25 years in the field. That's all everybody says. But Tim makes a great point, and I said this once, and I, I lost two friends over the same statement, or I should say a similar statement. 
Uh, he points out that there's there's experts in religion. So you have theologians, uh, so religious experts, but they're pretty much in a similar boat here when you're talking about uh, interpretations, no true answers. Uh, there's only one book to go by, basically. Uh, he states that this actually levels the playing field. So when you say there's no experts, uh, you level the playing field for everybody and probably makes everybody feel better about themselves. Uh, but he also makes the, the statement, the connection here that, so a guy who has been on two investigations versus people like Dr. Barry Taff or Lloyd Auerbach, so you're saying they're all the same. Neither one of those people have an advantage. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I mean, Lloyd Auerbach, parapsychologist. I mean, he's this guy's taught more people more stuff uh, than, than I've learned from. Um, I don't really watch the TV shows, I'll admit. But if I did, I'm sure that uh, Zach Bagans wouldn't teach me as much as what Lloyd Auerbach has. But sadly, the television shows have had a huge effect on how paranormal teams are structured and how they approach the subject. And I can vouch for this uh, being around before the uh, the major TV shows hit 2004 with Ghost Hunters. Uh, then it's all been downhill after that. Uh, but things are way different out there in the field than they were before that. Way different. Uh, one thing that he doesn't mention is how this has altered the culture of how the general public views the field and the content within it. Uh, I mean, years ago, uh, I would have to explain to a client what we were doing and recording. We were looking for EVP and I had to explain what that meant. Uh, now clients will ask us, are you going to look for EVPs? And they know more about the field than uh, clients uh, have ever known because of television, or at least they think they do. But uh, again, they only know what they've learned from TV. So how do we change from having television tell us how to be investigators and what equipment we should carry and being less of a cult? Well, he says we should be less judgmental of those who think outside the norm. Well, I can tell you, I've been there. Um, as somebody, I used to go with the flow. I used to say, oh yeah, ghosts are real and, and this is real and uh, or pictures. Well, I don't believe in those, but everything else is real. Um, and then when I changed, when I really started to change and I knew what I was saying wasn't really how I felt. It was really hard because there was a lot of pressure from other investigators, other teams. Uh, my team in, in general, where, whoever I had on my team generally uh, went with the status quo. And it was hard to, to tell them, look, you know, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about some of these things in, in this field. And when I came out with my E4 method, of paranormal investigation years ago, there were a lot of people that were on board with it, a lot of individuals within teams, uh, a lot of team leaders especially were on board with what I was saying. But again, the teams with, within them uh, didn't want anything to do with it. And despite you know people standing up and clapping and saying, this is wonderful, I love the direction you're going in, uh, nobody cares. My work is largely ignored. Nobody wants anything to do with it because it goes against the conventional thought. And firsthand, I felt that. Uh, secondly, he says, it, we got to stop worshiping idols. And I'm assuming he means people like Zach Bagans, you know, people on TV. The problem with this is that the information provided on television 
also comes with a heaping helping of entertainment value and absolutely no thinking other than memorizing and copycatting and maybe searching on Amazon to find the latest gadget. Now, the real thing we need is to educate ourselves by reading, doing our own research, and understanding our own field. That's what I feel. Uh, there's been a discussion for years on the internet. Uh, entire organizations created, including one that I had called Paranexus, uh, that is trying to bring the field together or raise the level of knowledge, uh, lower the learning curve when groups come in, uh, all those things. Literally dozens and dozens of groups just geared to that, helping the field. And how do we get better? Television popularized things and made ghost investigators pretty much into rock stars instead of weirdos. Uh, I was part of that. Uh, I didn't tell my parents what I did. I had close friends that didn't have any clue what I was doing hanging out on Friday nights that I couldn't hang out with them. But now, you know, people hear you're in a ghost investigation, they flip out like, no way. Dude, can I get your autograph? Uh, somewhere along the line, the ghost field was hijacked with imitating what was seen on television, and it did lose its ability to think for itself, and we've not evolved at all. Uh, this field has gone backwards. One thing that really bothers me is that people call themselves parapsychologists and think that it means that they're studying the paranormal. Well, you're not. That's not what it means. In reality, it's more like the study of the phenomena created by paranormal, or should say purported paranormal phenomena, uh, or really the study of psychic phenomena, which is not just ghosts, a lot more to it. Um, and people use that. They say, oh, I'm a parapsychologist. Are you? It's a graduate program. Did you really, you really, uh, you know, took a graduate program for that? And, and all of this study uses science. Parapsychology isn't about battery-operated equipment used uh, to fool the senses. It's about actual science, which is a process not a moment in a shed with a flashlight. But educating oneself, yes, it takes a lot of work and means challenging your own beliefs, which takes a lot to do. So, uh, with the last few minutes, we're going to talk about the book of the week. I've got to do this. Uh, this ties in really, really well with the story. And uh, this is a book in my hand here that uh, helped me get going in the paranormal, but I don't call myself a parapsychologist for reading it. And mine is an outdated old version, uh, but you can get an updated version. Well, it looks like they're temporarily out of stock, which is uh, sad, but uh, uh, the book of the week this week is called An Introduction to Parapsychology. Uh, and it's uh, published by Harvey J. Irwin. And the uh, fifth edition here is also with Carolyn A. Watt, uh, two very renowned individuals in the parapsychology field. Uh, my book is a second edition. It's from 1994, and it's only got Harvey H.J. Uh, Irwin on the front cover. So uh, I, I need to update online. I'm sure there's not a whole lot of new information, but I really would like to see what uh, Carolyn Watt adds to that book. Uh, but it looks like it's temporarily out of stock. Now, this isn't your, uh, there are pictures in this book, but this isn't your average everyday uh, regional type ghost book. There's there's a lot of higher thinking in this. 
but it's something that you can easily digest. You can you should be able to easily read this. It talks a lot of history, uh, but it does stick to what parapsychology is, and that is the study of psychic phenomena. So it's not just about ghosts. There's a lot of other stuff in here, a lot of other information. But if you're really serious about being in the paranormal field, the ghost field, and understanding all of these things, this is one of those foundational books that you need to have on your bookshelf. This is something that you're going to have to refer to later on. You can't just pick this up in a bookstore, flip through it, and get it. Uh, you're going to need uh, this book I've used dozens of times. Uh, got little things in here marking different sections of stuff that I've, I've gone back and looked at and researched. Uh, but it's very basic. It's not too over the top or too involved in any one thing. There's so much in this book from uh, ESP to psychokinesis, uh, theories of size, survival hypothesis, which is your buddies, the ghosts. They do talk about poltergeists, but not the poltergeists that you think. They also talk about near-death, out-of-body uh, experiences, apparition, apparitional experiences, reincarnation stories, which are really phenomenal to read about. And a little bit of the psycho psychology behind the belief in the paranormal, which you kind of sort of touch on. And all this written by academics. So this is a very academic uh, geared book. So again, an introduction to parapsychology. Find it, read it, and understand it. If you really want to be a paranormal researcher and you really want to call yourself a parapsychologist, which you can't, in my opinion, unless you take the graduate program. So that's all I got to say this week. Drop the book, but don't fear. I will be back next week and hopefully the Indians will be as well. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>